Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily DC. Yes, we've excised impeachment watch from the title and we're shifting our focus back to the 2020 race and politics in general if you're a relative newcomer to this podcast we were actually called the daily dc for several years before the impeachment saga began in the fall but before we turn fully our attention to the 2020 campaign trail there was a little final business related to impeachment that involved president trump's victory lap in the white house today just listen to a study in contrasts, one president from 1999, one president from today. I want to say again to the American people how profoundly sorry I am for what I said and did to trigger these events and the great burden they have imposed on the Congress and on the American people. We were treated unbelievably unfairly, and you have to understand, Uh, We first went through Russia, Russia, Russia. It was all bullshit. Today, I'm in New Hampshire preparing for a series of CNN town halls with Bernie Sanders, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar and Deval Patrick. You can watch those live beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern this evening. Joining me here in snowy Manchester is my friend and colleague, CNN chief political correspondent Dana Bash. Dana will be anchoring the town hall with Deval Patrick today. And Dana, we are always excited when you're on the podcast. Thanks for being here. This is so much fun. And I love being in this little radio booth at a, <laughs> at a local affiliate here. We yeah, like to WMUR. paint the picture, not just a local affiliate, a beloved local affiliate, a storied local uh, affiliate. Somebody once told me this is the house that Steve Forbes built uh-huh. with all of his uh, advertising dollars back in the 2000, 2000 campaign. No. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's campaign. right. Yeah. Um, Dana, before we turn to the campaign, can I just get your thoughts on what you observed uh, today from President Trump? I I know it's not terribly surprising, and yet it still shocks the system to see a president behave this way. Donald Trump held a campaign rally, a vintage Trump campaign rally in the East Room of the White House. And it was remarkable. As you said, we are now used to in some ways, numb to uh, the antics of this president. But but as you said, particularly as somebody who covered the White House uh, under George W. Bush, who wouldn't even go into the Oval Office without a jacket on because he wanted to uphold the dignity of the office. Nor would any staffer, right? Nor would any staffer. They weren't allowed to. To hear the president of the United States say the word bullshit in the East Room of the White House is jarring. I mean, it just is. Never mind um, the the really intense, harsh language that he used about, you know, elected officials from Nancy Pelosi to Mitt Romney, his fellow Republican, who obviously saw this coming from a mile away, but maybe not 
for a president to attack him the way he did, attack his religion, attack his faith the which way is this a, president did. Which is a uh, central tenet of his being, right? Yes. I mean, that part of Mitt Romney's story is his faith. Is his Mormonism. Yeah. 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 And not just that he is Mormon, but when he was um, in a position in the church to counsel uh people uh and his that's right fellow parishioners there i mean this is this is part of who he is the fabric of his being absolutely but that doesn't matter when you're when you're looking at and and talking about a president who was waiting was salivating for this moment of vindication he got it and he is pulling out all of the Trump stops to own the moment. And it's also um, talking about the contrasts with Bill Clinton. It's a stunning contrast to himself a couple of nights ago, standing in the Congress, in the House chamber, not saying the I word, doing exactly what his political advisors wanted him to do, which is talk about the accomplishments, you know, reach out to the base on certain issues, reach out to minorities on other issues. That is the Trump reelection campaign, um, you know, what they want him to do, not what he said in the East Room. And he applied that discipline on Tuesday night in front of a much bigger audience. I mean, a, a much bigger uh, sort of swath of America uh, tunes in for the State of the Union address for the president, even if it's people who tend to be a little bit more open to the president, no matter which party the president's in, who's delivering that speech. It's such a big audience. Different than his rally in the East Room, as you described it today, which people will hear about in their Twitter feeds and on news, but it'll be more of a news-consuming audience than the massive audience a State of the Union address gets where you're right. He was totally different. But here, here's a, you were mentioning this before we started recording the podcast, and I, and I think this is such an interesting observation on your part. What does it mean to have him behave this way a day after we heard all these Republican senators who voted to acquit him suggest that he will have learned his lesson? Exactly. I mean, that that was the the out that Republican senators like Susan Collins, like Rob Portman and others were kind of grasping at uh, as they explained their acquittal. As you said, he learned his lesson. Now, the lesson that they, that they were arguing he learned was, I'm not going to ask another foreign leader for help in an American election. Not about bad, you know, behavior that is maybe unbecoming of a president in the East Room. Like calling your political opponents evil. Right, for example. Now, but it's not a big leap to go from A to B because he is the person who he is. And he hasn't changed. And there's no ex- there's no reason to expect him to change. Um, he still thinks that that call was a perfect call. He There's no indication that he thinks that what he did was wrong. And both things, the totally not perfect call that caused him to be impeached by the House of Representatives, the third president in history to be impeached, uh, and today's behavior is actually of a theme, which is Crush your political opponent at all costs, mm-hmm. right? I mean that 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 that's is, right. no, that that's is a great the, point. the through line uh, between both of them. Just uh, you knew he was going to feel emboldened. There's no doubt about that. He should because he was acquitted. Feel emboldened. Who wouldn't? But your your note about the constraint and the discipline for Tuesday night to focus on the things his campaign desperately wants him to focus on every mm-hmm. day, and then only be able to keep that in for so long. Right. Well, that's exactly right. This is this is there's a lot of steam 
that he needs to let off. And one of the questions going forward that I have, I genuinely have, is whether or not this is a a, a pressure release, to borrow a David Talian term, or whether this is the beginning of a of a of a sort of parallel theme uh, of his reelection campaign. Whether it's you know they're evil, they stink, they don't know what they're doing, and they're and and I'm acquitted, and look how great I am. On on the same track as look at all the things I did for you, or that's going to fade away. The impeachment thing will fade away, and he'll stick to uh, what his political advisors want him to in order to get four more years. As you television correspondents say in uh, live tags after your pieces or ever, you say, only time will tell. And <laughs> back to you to the anchor. So we'll see. <laughs> um, have I ever said that? I, probably not. You're if too I have, good. If you're I too ha- good If to I say. have, you're gonna, you would call me. You're, if I ever do, you call me and say, really? Chris Cuomo called me out on air last night. I said, we shall see. He said, really? On air. He said, you're going to tell me we shall see while you're sitting here? And you're like, it's 1230 <laughs> at night and I haven't slept in a week. Exactly. Give me a break. Um, <laughs> So speaking of unprecedented things like we saw in the White House today, this week in New Hampshire is already unprecedented on the 2020 campaign trail. You know that when Iowa turns to New Hampshire, it is this like intense eight day period where the results of Iowa reshuffle the energy in the race. New Hampshire feels like a pressure cooker where it becomes do or die for people that didn't perform how they needed to perform in Iowa. It creates superstars Mm -hmm. uh, where there weren't before. All of that seems sort of removed. It feels like because the the Iowa story is not over yet. So like it feels it's chaotic, totally chaotic. Yeah. I mean, there's no realignment. It's just total chaos. It really is. Now, to be fair to Pete Buttigieg, he is regardless of at the end, how he turns out in the end, if there is an end, if we ever know what really happened, the Iowa caucuses, which is a real question if we will ever know uh, with with, you know, satisfactory results. But that that is a storyline that he is able to um, to ride, that he did extremely well there, uh, and bested expectations, and bested expectations, and which is the name of the of game, which of is the name of the game in Iowa. Um, a storyline is that Joe Biden didn't, and that is continuing. But beyond that, it it, it is so scrambled and so not what the people who are looking and hoping for, um, you know. Uh, under an understanding of where the democratic field is clarity sooner right? clarity Just for clarity. clarity that's the word i mean good luck with that right i mean and the other storyline i don't i don't want to uh i want to give bernie sanders his due here and bernie sanders I mean, great point this morning he announced he raised 25 million dollars in the month of january his best fundraising month ever i mean that's and obviously he had a very good night in Iowa, whether he comes out ahead, just ahead or just behind Pete Buttigieg in the delegates. Uh, and yes, maybe there were expectations built up that he was going to win it going away. And that didn't quite happen. And today he's touting the popular vote as the reason for his win, which we know that's not the way the caucuses are actually determined. But that money figure that he put out and the fact that it also accompanied an announcement that he was investing five million now in staying power. Days, Real it's staying power. power. This because is a campaign built for durability. It is. And also, we're in New Hampshire right now. He he crushed Hillary Clinton in New Hampshire four years ago, the person who was supposed to be the runaway nominee. This is the place where it was clear he was going to give her a run for her money. Obviously, it's incredibly different now in that there are so many uh, candidates. Right. But, but you're exactly right that 
uh, uh, barring some really big surprise, he's going to do extremely well in the primary here in New Hampshire. So that money is going to keep rolling in. That staying power is going to become even more concrete. And this is going to go on for a long time. And and I w- listen, even in Iowa, before all the, you know, the chaos, what you heard from people there is the difference between now and four years ago is that people looked at Bernie Sanders not just as a passion project, but as the potential nominee. Yeah, he he definitely has crossed uh, a threshold there. Absolutely. Of, uh, being taken a little more seriously no as question. a potential nominee. You talk about the chaos. I just want to say, you know, right before we started recording this podcast, Tom Perez, the DNC chairman, has publicly called for a re-canvas of the Iowa caucus results. By the way, only a candidate, actually, according to the rules in the Iowa delegate selection plan. Remember, folks, this is not the state of Iowa that runs this election. It's the Democratic Party of Iowa that is the controlling authority over the election and the rules that they got approved by the DNC. It says only a candidate can call for recanvas. So this is like a public call from the DNC chairman. Uh, it's unclear. David, can you explain what recanvassing is? Well, I'll try because okay. it's very confusing. The difference- well, if anyone can do it, you can. It, it, my understanding is a recanvas means just taking the results that were reported in and matching them up to the results you've recorded in your final count, right? Like what came in from the precinct? Do we have precinct, you know, Des Moines 25? Here's the number that came in. On the spreadsheet that we have in our results, does it match what we have for Des Moines 25? It's not a going through every paper record it's not again. A recount. It's not a recount at all. So don't think exactly. like Florida recount and looking at every ballot. What has been called for is a recanvas, which is just checking that all the numbers do indeed match up. But we don't have the timeline or the process for what would take place there. And what we do have now is a statement from the Iowa Democratic Party chairman that suggests, listen, there's a deadline tomorrow for the candidates to request a recanvas. If somebody does, the party will respond to that. But it sounds like there's such bad blood between the state party and the national party. Exactly. Now. That's the story with this. That's exactly what I was thinking. Because <clears throat> over the past couple of days, we have seen and heard from uh, Democrats in Iowa saying this is the DNC. The DNC is is taking a very um, heavy hand in their role now that things are such a mess. But this statement by Troy Price is basically saying back off. This isn't how it works. And uh, it's not up to you to call for this. If you thought four days after the caucuses, this thing was going to be cleaner or on the way of being cleaned up, it seems like it's only getting messier as we await still some 54 precincts or so to actually report. Dana, before we go, what are you hoping to learn the most from Deval Patrick tonight? We haven't had a town hall with him. You have the responsibility of standing up there and obviously getting his questions answered by New Hampshire voters. But what is it that, you, that you're intrigued by or interested in that you want to hear from him as he makes his case? Listen, he is a really fascinating guy with an incredible life story. Uh, he's a real, uh, you know, come from uh, poverty uh, to, you know, getting to the, the highest academic place he could, Harvard Law School. And then, of course, uh, you know, going on to the Justice Department and uh, two-term governor of Massachusetts. So there's that. And then more importantly, it's you know, he came into the race late. Uh, he says it's because he wanted to make sure his wife was okay, who was diagnosed uh, with stage one uterine cancer a year ago. Um, but with all of these candidates, how do you break through? That's it. And that um, is the question. And 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 you know, listen, for many candidates, especially since things are so up in the air, all you need is a moment. And uh, maybe, you know, he can find that moment somewhere, somehow, but it's not going to be easy. No, 
I wish we could sit and talk all day. Uh, we but gotta, we can. We, we just can't hear it, unfortunately. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we have to get back to preparing for the town halls. Uh, Dana, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. As always, we'd like to thank our listeners. We've got a new episode for you every single weeknight, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, please consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. We'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.